Hey guys, you're listening to Metal Matters, a weekly Gimme Radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill. If you like metal, punk, hardcore, or anything extreme, you've come to the right place. So subscribe and never miss out. Welcome back, Ralph Schmidt of Ulta, one of my best friends in the universe. He's been on the show before, and it's always a pleasure talking to Ralph. Uh, this time around, we're going to be doing one of those point of entry shows, which uh, you guys seem to dig. It's a lot of fun, and uh, Ralph and I don't get a chance to talk as much as I'd like to. So here we go. Before we get going on the point of entry aspect of the show, uh, update me on what's going on with Ulta. I saw some alarming things on the uh, Instagram feed, and uh, I got confused. So let me know what's going on. Um, So when we did our last podcast, uh, I was already, like, mentioning that there might be the end, like, in a way. And uh, we had talk about this. If we like break up, there was like several reasons, like no bad blood. But it was just like I don't know. I was in a in a feeling that maybe it's time to call it quits with that band. But then we had a long talk and said like, why should we rush anything? And uh, we we've done a lot of things and life's become hectic. So we decided uh, we'll put out that last EP we did. And we had this uh, this uh, fifth installment of the Unholy Passion Fest we always do in December. And we thought, like, it's our fifth anniversary playing with a lot of guests. So maybe that's a good, like, point to say we'll, we'll quit or, or we'll just take a break. And then we decided we'll take a break from actively, like, going out, touring and shit. And we said, like, for a, for a year, we'll kick it back, see where our head's at, and, like, uh, see if we still find the uh, the vibe to like, continue this band. But on the other, like we said, we'll communicate it through Facebook and Instagram as well. So because we've always tried to be like open about like how we operate. And so we decided to say like, okay, so listen, the December show will be the last show for a while. It might be the last. It might not be the last. We don't know. If there are like some badass offers and we say like, this is stuff we want to do, we'll do it. And so our plan was to have like 2020 to maybe play like three or four shows. And we saw a set like, well, let's see what happens. And uh, then we went out, like we made that posting and we went on tour. And like three days later, I got an invitation by James Kent, uh, better known as Perpetator. I think mm-hmm. that's how you say that name. Yep. And he's a curator for Roadburn. And he asked me, uh, asked us if we want to play Roadburn next year. And uh, that, that was like a no-brainer. So, yeah, we got talking. I spoke to Walter. And both these guys were super, super nice and offered a great thing. And so we'll play Roadburn next year. And apart from that, we don't know. We will see. I, I just want to take a break from constantly rehearsing and writing material. The last two years have been a real drag. I'm, I'm really done. And uh, I have a dark wave band now. I want to like play around with that a bit more and just like kick it back for a while yeah and we'll see like what happens during the year what's the name of this dark wave project uh it doesn't have a name yet there's like three or four ideas we have uh, three songs written and we had a drummer for a while but that drummer wasn't really good and uh so he left so it's basically the bass player and i writing songs uh and recording on the computer 
Um, but it looks like Manu, the drummer in Otha, wants to join us as a drummer, which would be cool because it's in the vein of like early Killing Joke and early New Model Army. So two of my absolute favorite bands. And you need a kind of a powerful drummer to play that. Yeah. And he, he's one of the best drummers I know. Moving on to the meat of the show. Um, you know, this is one of those point of entry things that people seem to enjoy. Um, and I invited you on because I'm really, I probably know a lot of what you're about to say, but also, uh, I think that, uh, you're, you're like, have such a diversity in music that influences what you do creatively that I want to hear it in your own words. Like what records, what bands, uh, what specific songs, like what moods, like that kind of thing went into yeah. making you the creative force that you are. Well, cool. I'm super, super pumped to do that. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a topic I, I think about a lot. And ever since you started doing this, I was like, oh yeah, I want to do that. So yeah, let's have at it. Wait, yeah. where should we start? <laughs> yeah, you, you decide, man. Um, you know, it's, uh, actually before we get started, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I had a guest, John Wiederhorn, who mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, very, uh, prolific writer, journalist he has a new book that just came out you know like a, he's one of the, like a rock book writer you know he writes about he did um an al jurgensen uh, biography like that kind of thing and that was sweet yeah because john john's show on gimme radio is similar to this type of thing except he does a way better job than i do um <laughs> it's like he'll take like um a, a specific record and devote his show to it and he'll play the entire album then he'll talk about bands that they influenced and records that influenced them. I mean, he just gets really deep into it. So talking to John was actually kind of inspirational to me, and I want to take these types cool. of things more seriously and everything. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, you know, for this one, you know, have at it, and uh, you know, let's let's see where we start. You know, okay. Well, I I was thinking about where's the actual entry point of me listening to music on in a conscious way, besides from the stuff that you hear at home. I I remember like in a lot of podcasts you mentioned when it comes to Danzig, which is a mutual thing we love both. Um, you always talk about Roy Orbison, and I remember that my dad was really into Roy Orbison, and we were listening to a lot of like the '60s and '50s music at home. So I had like this stuff, like the Woodstock stuff, like and the Mamas and the Papas and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I and I have no idea why, but there was this one song, "No Milk Today," and uh, it had like this this guitar strum opening, which is kind of dark in a way. Like the song breaks over into a different part, but that song, that beginning, always had an appeal to me. And from there, like I listened to a lot of stuff at home that my parents listened to. I grew up in the 80s. And uh, so like the radio music was always like these keyboard jams that are like super popular still that you can still listen to, you know, like all these Erasure and Aha and these kind of Yazoo and these 80s bands. Mm -hmm. And I'm a suck. I'm a total sucker for that. But the actual entry point was Michael Jackson in uh, 87. Bad came out. And uh, my dad speaks eight languages and he wanted me to kind of like be like he is. And he wanted me to, to encourage me to focus on learning a language. So he made the deal like I wanted to have that tape. And he said, like, OK, we'll go out. I'll buy you that Michael Jackson tape. I'll buy you your first Walkman and I buy you a dictionary. 
And whenever you want new music, you have to translate three or four lyrics for me. Wow. So, yeah. So I sat there as a as an eight-year-old boy uh, with a dictionary, looking up the words to Michael Jackson songs and trying to write a translation for that. So, yeah, and that's how I financed my, like, musical stuff in the beginning. And he was always willing to buy more. My grandparents were the same thing. And um, so Michael Jackson bad and, like, had all these songs. Still love that record. It's a good record. But there was Smooth Criminal, the last song on the record, which uh-huh. is a, a very dark song for a Michael Jackson song, just from the way it sounds. And that appealed to me the most. So that was the first, my first actual favorite song. My father also speaks fluent Spanish, and we went to Mallorca a lot, this island that is mostly populated by Germans by now. I met a boy there, Felix, from Berlin. I still recall that. I have no idea who it is now, but like it was this boy. And we were talking about music. He was my age, and he played a tape for me, which was Keeper of the Seven Keys Part 2 by Halloween. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So, and the first song he played to me was Future World, and I couldn't stop listening to that thing. So, for the one week of vacation we were there, he gave me that tape, and I just kept, like, going back, you know, in Walkman, like, going back, and then just play the song again, you know, not skipping like you do today on Spotify. And, yeah, so, that was the first metal thing I ever encountered. So, that was, uh, I think it was 89 or 1990-something. Yeah, so that was like my entry point to rock music. It's funny yeah. that the uh, you know the Walkman. I remember that yeah. thinking that was like the pinnacle of technology when I was a kid. You know, yeah, that you yeah. can carry a cassette tape with you of, yeah. of one record or maybe two if you had a ninety-minute cassette out into the world. And now it's like the in- entirety of all music can be carried around with you in, <laughs> into the world on your phone. Yeah, you know, it's insane. and you don't need. You don't need a hard drive for that anymore. Just like everything is streaming all the time. <laughs> it's like when when I, when I talked to like last talk I had with Central Media and I was like, okay, so we still would like to have like download and Bandcamp. Like, no, download is dead. It's like, no, it's not. I still download music. Um, but yeah, it's like, I think that's the, the public thing. Like my kids in school that I teach, no one has an MP3 player. No one ever, one of these kids, no one buys records. They just, it's it's a it's a, like an art form that people lose going to record stores it's nerd, nerds like us we still go to like record shops and dig through a vinyl we buy a seven inch to like get to know a new band and they just click a button and then they have the music <laughs> apple apple stopped making i ipods and um, yes i i actually more more so for like like demos of music that you know i mean you and i are both playing bands we work on stuff all the time and there's like you know you transfer files you want to take stuff down out you know out in the world with you to like listen to you to maybe write some lyrics or something like that you know and more more for that reason i wanted to get some kind of actual hard drive to put music on so i was mm-hmm. like you know what man i don't they stopped making um ipods they're they still they're still available out there on amazon for like you know actually not even that expensive but I found an alternative. These other companies make them, and they're right. mar- they're marketing it as for old people or kids. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah. Well, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, old people who can't figure out mobile technology, or for young kids who can't figure out uh, mobile technology. Dude, when when I when I teach and I have like just casual talks with kids, like. 
I don't know, like the the evolution of rap and hip hop music, which is also music I'm very much into. But like right now, the way the American rap music is like disintegrating, it's like it's not even about writing good lyrics anymore. It's just like yelling out one word at a time really loud to a shitty beat. And we have that here, too, with the, the most uh, like ugly aspect of like being an asshole like in a way that they're like homophobic and and just like misogynistic and stuff like this and my kids listen to this and when they talk they just leave out words in the sentences and you're like how the hell are you supposed to communicate properly at one point in your life it's 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 a dreadful dreadful thing to see it really is, man. And and I got to be honest, being, you know, grow, growing up in the tri-state area, New York City area, um, you know, hip hop, I've always loved rap music and hip hop, you know, from the, throughout the 80s and the late 70s. And I got to say, I've been really disappointed in hip hop music for the last 15 years, man. Yeah. You know? For me, it's like, I always like, there are good things and I, I'm not that active anymore in, in finding out about stuff. So, but there are these artists that are really good. But for me... I don't know, like when I when I thought about doing this episode, I wrote down records that mean the world to me. And like I have two pieces of paper in front of me just with like records and years. And it's everything's 91, 92, 93, 94, 95, 96. And that's about it. That's like ever after that was like something that like stuff that made good records or bands that make good records. But that time. And speaking about hip hop, it was Wu Tang Clan enter the thirty six chambers oh, ninety three, yeah. mm-hmm. dude. It's still that one and the first wave of Wu Tang records, like the old dirty bastards uh, solo stuff. The genius Liquid Swords, yes. the, in my opinion, the best record, like best hip hop record again. But it it's it always matches the pattern. It's darker than the rest. When like when when I recorded like the the Yo MTV rap stuff and you all had all like Dr. Dre and all these party rappers and then all of a sudden you had like these weirdos in these masks with the the gold teeth in front of like burning barrels yeah and just like these dark beats and it's like oh wow this is horror music and hip hop form yeah yeah definitely I mean Wu Tang um, you know like I I at the time they came out. That was like definitely something that was in my periphery, like hip hop music in general. Um, I was listening to a lot of hip hop around in the 90s. And uh, when I remember I was working at the Newberry Comics warehouse in Boston, because that's the years I lived up there. And Uh somebody came up with this tape and I was blown away by how awesome it was. And just it was like the same feeling I got from listening to like metal, except it was hip hop music, you know, exactly. That's exactly what the feeling I had. And that record is like whenever I get asked, like in these classic black metal interviews, so oh, you're you're the guy in a black metal band. What is what is your what are your favorite records like Wu Tang Clan? And they're like, What? What is Wu Tang Clan? It's like, yeah, see? <laughs> That's why my band sounds different than your band. <laughs> um and yeah, man, like the one like the Liquid Swords record by Jizza is probably the darkest hip hop record ever. And it's just like the way it's been done. Also, again, like hi-fi was not a thing that they cared about. It's it's about the atmosphere. And that's a general thing in music that is really important to me. And I learned it from that time, you know, like from the first black metal demos, the first death metal I listened to, and also the grunge stuff that was really important in 91, 92, 93. It's like, it's not about having the best sounding record. It's about having honest music that just gives you like a feeling and has actual atmosphere. Yeah, also the thing I was fascinated 
by with Wu-Tang was uh, was RZA specifically. How, yeah, the records did start out with this like rough production, but mm-hmm. through diligence and just work ethic, you know, 20 years later, that guy is like a yes. world-renowned producer, you know, make, doing film soundtracks and scores and everything. And, and he's really just, just to me, I, I always respect people who I see like the pro- progress of their art, you know, and, even right. if it's like the technical aspects of it as well as the creative aspects of it. And like, you know, Riza is stands as like one of those guys who I just admire as someone who kind of epitomizes hard work, you know, and creativity and like open mindedness, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Agree. Like I, I, uh, he was at a, at a Jim Jarmusch film, um, premiere in Cologne once. And I saw him there and like Jim Jarmusch is kind of the same thing for me. Like I love Jim Jarmusch and he is like, he didn't give a fuck about what people said. It's like, this is the stuff I want to do. And he just like made it perfect. And it's just his work ethic and about like, he thought about so many aspects of the whole game. And I think Wu-Tang Clan and especially the Rizzer, they had the same thing. And I mean, look where they are now. There's, they have a legacy. It's something that has never been done in the way they did it. And it's, yeah, love it. Did you catch uh, Jarmusch's zombie film, The Dead Don't Die? Yeah, Yeah, I did. What do you think of that? Okay, it's uh, it's also like his vampire movie before that. It's okay. I love it because it's Jim Jarmusch. I love it because it has Bill Murray. But it was so like cringeworthy and and it it like break broke the fourth wall, which I kind of loved. Like mm-hmm. that he's like actually talking to the people. But um, for me, it's it's it has to be black and white and it has to be Tom Waits in a way. You know, it's like Down by Law and like these these films. They're like. They're the thing for me. But it was cool. I mean, it was Jim Jarmusch, and I love it. But for me, it's like the earlier stuff is better. I tend to the earlier stuff, too. But this one specifically, because I feel, as much as I love zombies, I feel like the zombie genre has kind of been beaten to death, at least for now. Yeah. yeah. And, and in a way, uh, you know, the the dead don't die is like an epitaph to the, the, the grandeur of the past zombie era. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I yeah. enjoy, I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was really cool, and I do like that far the fourth wall puncture and um, mm-hmm. you know the, re, the the referential stuff where the the music's playing and you know they're in the, the squad car and he's like oh I, yeah. like, I like you know I like this song he's like oh yeah it's it's the theme song to the film or whatever you know or yeah it's, it's really good yeah making yeah. references to I read the script and all that stuff and um, yeah. I, I don't recommend. I, I can't really recommend it to everyone because of because of that. Because the irony is something that might be lost on people. But uh, but I, I really enjoyed it. You know, personally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, since I watch all the movies in like in the original language, and I mean, most stuff here is dubbed. I have no idea how this translates. I mean, I have a pretty pretty big knowledge. I think about the American culture, mm-hmm. and so like. I mean, I grew up like watching Beavis and Butthead, which gave me a lot of like musical references, later Simpsons, Family Guy and all this stuff. So I always been like a fan of American things. And it's a very American movie in a way. And yeah. also with the references. So I don't even want to like fantasize about how horrible it is to have like the German dubbing and it, which is always way louder than the original thing. So every the whole atmosphere gets lost terrible so yeah <laughs> so generally uh films that make it over to europe or germany specifically are dubbed huh they're not subtitled no 
No, it's the, we're the only, we're the one of the, like the Germans, you know, like we always think we are the most important fit people on the planet. Oh, I, I beg kinda... to differ, man. I think, <laughs> I think yeah. Americans feel that way, man. I'm sorry to differ about that, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's uh, it's really like if you look around it, like we have this. I mean, I'm a teacher, and there's these these studies about like Europe, where the the um, the educational system is the best, and the Germans they're always like somewhere in the middle. But when it comes to foreign languages, we're always like in a back position. And then there's always these huge discussions about why that is. Why are the Dutch better than we are? Why are the Norwegians better than we are? It's like, well, maybe because everything they watch on TV is in English, just with subtitles. And here everything is fucking dubbed. And I mean, imagine Family Guy with all these references about American culture being dubbed into German. I mean, it's, it's like, or the Bart Simpson quote, I'm from Uranus. <laughs> they translate they tra they translate this into German and it just doesn't make any sense, you know. Yeah. And it's like for me as a teacher, when pe when when parents ask me, it's like, how could my kid get better in English? It's like, well, you have Netflix, watch stuff in English, watch it with subtitles. It's it's that's how I learned English. I mean, and my and my dad giving me tapes to translate, but yeah, he he had like he bought like this antenna he put on our roof so I could watch Sky Channel, which was back then a British channel, and I watched G.I. Joe and Transformers and all these American things in English. I had no like, no idea what they were saying, but it was fucking cool, and it kind of gave me an ear to understand or like digest the English better. And wow. Yeah, one, one quick comment to us Americans out there uh, about language and culture. Uh, it's There's a subtlety here that when speaking English, spe English is a European language, okay? But I think the, the underlying theme here is the differences in culture between things like irony and that don't work in certain, like, like the British. The British both, we speak English, the British speak English. There's some things that just don't make sense, you know, between yeah. Brits and the U.S. And I know I, I'm always fascinated by that because, you know, I as much I, every year I want to learn more languages or learn a different language or learn another language because I can't really I can speak little bits and pieces of other languages. But mm -hmm. I can't really like if I'm in France, for example, because I, I took French in, in high school and I got I was pretty good at it. I was a good student in general, but. If I'm in France for a number of days, by the third day or the second day, or for example, when we were at Roadburn, uh, not Roadburn, Hellfest, I was there all day. And mm -hmm. by the end of the day, I was like starting to come up with like some syntax, you know what I mean? But that's yeah. it for me, man. Like I can't just drop myself into a situation and understand foreign languages really. And I've always admired that about Europe, that they can, just, everyone speaks multiple languages over there. Yeah, it's it's part of the educational system, especially since like English is the number one lingua franca, where everybody says like it's the most common language you have to learn. So at least you'll have English lessons. And yeah, I remember when we toured together in America, and like Benny, like our drummer, and he was so shit scared to talk English. And I remember Jamie Getz telling him like Benny, ask me how good my German is, and <laughs> yeah. then. Yeah, and then he said, "Like now you talk talk English again. Yes, you do syntax errors and you do some grammar mistakes. But I know what you want to tell me. But I have no fucking clue how to say anything in German." Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, yeah you just got to keep working at it. You know. Yeah. yeah. All right. So what's uh, what's next on the list here? 
Okay, so um, I think 90, 91 is where everything started to explode. And like I, I was earlier in the, the way I consumed music than all of my friends. They, they were getting into music way later. I have no idea how that started. But in 91, I saw Terminator 2, which came out on my birthday in 91. And the uh, Guns N' Roses song, You Could Be Mine, was the, the soundtrack for that. And that song just fucking killed it for me. I'm like, holy shit, this is so good. And the same year, Nirvana, Nevermind came out. So Smells Like Teen Spirit was everywhere. Uh, 10 by Pearl Jam came out. Bad Motorfinger by Soundgarden came out. So grunge was happening. And I loved it. I love these records still to death. And what came after that, 1992, Angel Dust, Faith No More, Dirt by Alice in Chains, 92. These records are still heavily played by me all the time. And I think with grunge, the not the like aesthetic from the way they look, but having like loud, heavy guitars with a lot of melody and like some political awareness, but a lot of emotion kind of is a thing that has been with me all my life. And I think this still has an effect on Ulta today, even though it's a, it's a metal band. The way we tackle this music is way more melodic and also very emotional. And our sound, everybody always says, like, you don't sound like a metal band. You sound like a fucking rock band. And it's like, yeah, that's the thing we have. We sound heavy. It's more Neurosis influenced, which is also a band that, like, changed my life forever. So, yeah, 91, dude, grunge. That was one thing. And, well, after, at the same time, or, at the, at the, or, like, pretty much the same time, I always also got into death metal. And, uh, wow. Yeah, that was the, that was the 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 heyday, really. If, if those two things happening together, yeah, kind of diametrically opposing each other, but also like that was like probably the most powerful eras of uh, both of those uh, those styles of music. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's the same. Like I just I browsed through. Like I I remember that what my father started with buying me tapes my grandfather like his father he continued so like my grandparents they all lived in frankfurt and i lived like around Mannheim, which is about an hour hour and 20 minutes apart from each other and i spent like every second weekend i was in frankfurt with my grandparents and my grand grandfather on like my father's father he always went with me and my sister to frankfurt's inner city district so we went to toy stores and I bought like a lot of toys and uh, like action figures. And also there was a WOM, World of Music, which was a big chain back then. Like they had like good record stores and there was just these walls of CDs. And then you had like in the middle of the store was one big corner with I think 10 or 12 CD players. And like a pimple spot faced dude in the back, just like opening the CDs for you so you could listen to them. And I just went through the rows and just looked at artwork and said, like, okay, I want to listen to this. I want to listen to that. And especially when it came to death metal, just the artworks and the logos. I bought so much stuff just by the looks of it. And like there was so much stuff that I didn't like. But I remember like the first thing I bought was The End Complete by Obituary. Nice. And, uh, that one, that also the song, The Incomplete, the music video on Headbangers Ball still is a fucking masterpiece. I love that one. Um, same time, Carcass, 
Necroticism, still one of my favorite death metal records in a way. Um, some people argue it's grindcore. I think that one was already way more a death metal record than a grindcore record. And uh, Dismember, like an ever-flowing stream. That's a great which one. Which is classic. Yeah, yeah. I I always I just had a discussion yesterday with a with a friend of Danny's, and and he was like entombed. I'm like, yeah, I love entombed, but that one Dismember record <laughs> blows away everything. So yeah, these three records were like the epitome of death metal to me. But back then, I don't know, man, dude. It was just one week I bought Suffocation and Gorgots. Next week, Malevolent Creation and Deicide. And every every weekend I was with my grandfather there. He just like, okay, you choose three CDs, I'll pay. And I just bought and bought and bought music. Sit at home in my room, listening to that music on my headphones. When I wanted to piss off my parents, I just like ripped out the headphones and they just hated <laughs> Hated everything I played. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, I just I just wanted to mention that obituary is in like a third chapter, man. Like they're they're like st going strong right now. They that you know that it's interesting thinking about that band because you know they were they were like you know one of the original bands from that style yeah. of music, and then they've had so many peaks and valleys in their career, and right now they're 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 on a peak, man. I feel like yeah, you know they yeah. They're they're going. They're dead. the the new record. Well, the last, it's not new anymore. But the most recent record is really good. They've been touring. Yeah. They've been, uh, you know, having these like uh, critically acclaimed appearances at things like the Decibel Festival. And you know, they they played in they played two sell, sold out shows here in New York recently. And um, yeah, they're they're like in in this like renaissance of their career. It seems like so these two things happen simultaneously. And then I think the the most important thing in my life happened. So um, coming from this, I was um, in, in the small city I come from, which is uh, a 25,000 people city, which is like m smaller midsize for Germany. There was not a lot of things you could do as a teenager, especially in the six week summer break. So like with us in school, we only have a six week break in summer. And uh, there was like these two weeks where there was um, like a holiday program in a way, which is, I don't know if that translates right, but it was like the stuff where uh, there was 25 kids in a group with two adults that did like programs with you where you go, went, we went swimming and tie-dye shirts. And the next day you played mini golf and did this stuff. So it was basically like get the kids away from their parents for two weeks because six weeks is too long. So that's what I did every every summer. And uh, so there were groups starting from, I think the youngest kids were 10. So it was always groups of two years, so 10 to 12, then 12 to 14, 14 to 16. And uh, they had exchange programs there. And uh, later on, they had like Saturdays, uh, like a disco party in a youth center, which was like the thing where all the older kids were there. Were there. And I remember being like the snot-nosed teenager I was and just barely listening to any good music. And they played a lot of shitty music, but all of a sudden these Frenchmen were there, like these <laughs> French-style gurus with their long black coats and their, their, their weird-ass hair with a lot of hairspray in it. And they played this music and did pogo to it. And I was so intrigued. I'm like, holy shit, what, what are they doing? What is this? And it ended up being The Cure, Sisters oh, nice. of Mercy, uh, Bauhaus, Christian Death, and all this stuff. 
So like that was the the peak of the goth scene. And these French kids, they were so fucking cool. And I was just like this regular German potato thinking like, oh my God, so what the fuck is happening? And so I got into that music and my exchange partner back then, he he did a tape for me, which was Sisters of Mercy, first and last and always on the A side. And Alice Cooper, uh, Hey Stupid, poisoned this record on the B side. So that's an interesting uh, uh, dichotomy, right there. You know? Yeah, totally. But like, as much as I love Poison still to this day, which is, I think it's a fucking good song. Um, but like the Sisters of Mercy tape, that like that was the thing for me, and especially then in I, I think it was around 90, 90 something the never enough video and the lullaby video on mtv of the cure scared the fucking shit out of me i was just getting into horror movies back then and just like the way robert smith looked the whole band looked and that for me was the thing that sold it to me and that's why the cure is still one of my favorite bands ever that's why dark wave and gothic music is upon like the most important things in my life and that's why I, like when i thought about it i was like okay if i had to nail it down to three records that would be like my my all-time favorite records one of the top three is pornography by the cure yeah that's a With, classic record by them for sure it's so it's the darkest saddest and most atmospheric in a dark way record i've ever heard and just like you put it on it's this this beat of 100 years and the first line he sings is it doesn't matter if we all die it's like how how sad and dark can you get and so this this is the thing for me so the gothic gothic stuff and i know you like that too oh yeah man big time i mean that's um you know the cure the cure is my entry level my entry point into that music too because i mean um you know back when i was in, in high school there was like five people that like good music really i mean there was a lot of uh you know kids into journey and bon jovi and stuff like that and uh you know luckily i caught on to punk and you know metal first metal and then punk and hardcore and then i had this girlfriend who was uh, a goth and uh. she was way i mean this is the 80s so the, the cure were like a, a, a an underground band for lack of a better term you know what i mean mm. And that's when I started getting interested in that music. And there was also a crossover between that that sound and bands like The Cramps and you know Gun Club and uh, yeah. And then Christian Death was like the punk band that yeah. played with punk bands that were in that dark goth kind of vibe, you know. And then yeah. from there it was you know, you know Joy Division and you know Fields of the yeah. Nephilim a little bit after that. So yeah, yeah. These are all like among my favorites mighty sphincter and, oh, yeah. and all these these stuff yeah you turned like, me on I to love... them actually mighty sphincter you're the you're the guy who turned me on to that band like i had yeah, heard i of remember that you. yeah yeah it's weird that that i had to i had to teach you about an american band for yeah once. yeah <laughs> there's only like besides you the only other person that i've ever heard refer to that band was james from ringworm the singer from ringworm is is a fan of that band and literally me, you, and him are the only people I know that even talk about that band. But see, now we can go go like around around ways because I know someone you know too that is also a big fan. That's oh, Twit, yeah, Twit Helen, yeah. Okay, yeah. And because I remember that uh, 
when uh, I mean, you know that I love integrity, which yeah. would be like one of the later things. But integrity was is one of the most important bands I have ever encountered. And um, with, with, which was later on, like we're skipping out the black metal part right now, which I will get to in a, in a second. But um, when I started playing, like when I started playing music, I started playing punk. Like it was, it was German punk, it was shitty. And uh, but then I found in '95 my first real band, which was like back then a straight edge hardcore band. But these guys were like these these not like super positive people but they were listening to a lot of hardcore they were straight edge but they were never like oh let's put x's on our hands but these guys they fed me integrity and stark weather and mayday ringworm catharsis all these bands and i just like i love everything about this the serial killer aspect the the occult the weird lyrics and this was just like this nail it down for me this is what i love and especially integrity and like dwit he later on like when we started talking and uh he was like yeah mighty sphincter i'm like oh who are who are they it's like oh shit then i checked it out and i mean we ended up doing a cover version with ultha mm-hmm. and yep. yeah it's it's a it's a cool band and i also know that like my old band like it, we were called absent which is like a really corny name and uh then we changed the name to repugnant which was before the death metal band appeared and we did actually did a split with pale creation which is from uh also from the cleveland s- surrounding and yeah so they were also they did a split with pale creation uh, with um with mighty sphincter later on so oh, wow. i know okay. that all these cleave the all these cleveland people i know blazes into that band too yeah. and mm-hmm. they all love that so yeah the whole cleveland hardcore scene and i mean you featured that on your podcast a bunch of times so. i i gotta say man you know i that's my favorite hardcore really is the stuff from cleveland with the exception yeah. of the Chromags, I don't really like New York hardcore, to be honest. I mean, yeah. Chromags and Marauder are like the two bands I really rep from New York, but the rest yeah. are, and sick of it all. I'm sick of it all. How could I forget them? They're like mm. kings, but I'm just not one of those uh, those guys, you know? I The Cleveland stuff is like, to me, always had a, a darker vibe and it was more into like just negative like stuff, yeah. you know? And it's cooler, I thought. Yeah, and and that's that's where where it started. Again, it's darker than the rest, and that's more appealing. I mean, I can I can treasure Gorilla Biscuits and Youth of Today and these bands, but they never did the same thing for me that like Systems Overload or Humanity is the Devil did for me. That's also like back then the Victory catalog with Snapcase and Strive and all these bands. They were all cool, and I loved to like it was cool seeing them live. But nothing, nothing was like integrity. And one of the first shows my my bandmates dragged me to was. Um, integrity ring war and prophecies of rage in 95 yeah man and that was the humanities the devil tour and it was i mean it was mind-blowing yeah so this is definitely one one of the bands that i really really love well well the other thing to to note about all these cleveland bands is that they're still making great records too it's they're not just they do relying on something that came out in the 80s to like fill fill rooms i mean ringworm integrity uh in cold blood they all yeah, have new love. new albums that are sound that are great, you know. Yeah, fucking fantastic. Everything like the new new Inco Blood stuff, amazing. Oh yeah, yeah it's but, like record rules. And one band from that like time and like genre, no one seems to know is Mayday. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I know them from the Split. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, they're they were like sort of an unsung band as well. 
Yeah, they did a 10 inch called Staple Gun, which you like find in distros here for Euro all the time. No one cares about that band, but the Staple Gun EP is amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, this, this whole apocalyptic kind of hardcore that was flawless. Yeah, the Holy Terror stuff, as they call it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, like the other thing besides Dark Wave, which was super important, was when my father, in his way, I mean, my, my dad did a lot of stuff wrong. And like I'm, I'm on okay terms with him now, but I don't really care. But like back then, when he like tried to make me be interested in, in language, he did like, he was on the road a lot because he was a banker. So he flew to, I don't know, he flew to Tokyo and he brought back a Ninja Turtle action figure. Oh, right. Like, on. One, yeah. yeah, and one and a half years earlier before like prior to everyone being into the turtles so i had like donatello at home and people were like hold what's that that's a turtle and it's like ever like a year later everybody was into that so later on he bought me like music magazines and so when he was in great britain he bought me a new new musical express and like made me read that and then he bought Kerrang! magazine when I was into metal. And in 93, he brought that issue with the black metal stuff about them ah, burning churches yeah. and shit. Mm-hmm. So I, ha- I had an original copy of that. And for me, I was in, in 92, I saw The Omen for the first time, nice. which is my favorite horror movie of all times. And it was because everything was so fucking dark and bleak in this thing. And the whole like satanic thing... It was just overwhelming. I was shit scared. It's to this day I get goosebumps like from that movie. And then all of a sudden you see like these fucked up characters in their black and white like costumes and like corpse paint. And they, they burned down a church and they, they dug out graves and they pissed against the, the altar on a, like a, in, in the church. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? So this is the real deal. Because with death metal, the more I became into it, I had the feeling that it's like winky metal. I remember that's a term you branded. I, I yeah. winky metal. Yep. So like they're like, okay, this is supposed to be evil, but they're actually nice people. In a way. <laughs> yeah, totally. And the the only band like in death metal to this point that I really bought it back then was Incantation, the first one. The Onward to Golgotha is uh-huh. like, what a dark record. But then black metal happened, and like 93, first encounter with that, and then 94, Nights in the Nights at Eclipse, The oh, Mysterious man. Dome Satanas, Transylvanian Hunger, and yeah, then I was, I was hooked. And I think for, from 90, 93, 94 on, for the next five or six years, I was only into black metal when it came to metal. I absorbed this. I as a teenager sent letters with money in them to like order tapes from Norway. So there was this again, random German potato kit because I was really chubby. And <laughs> I, I don't know if that's interesting to my story, but, it, <laughs> but it's uh, yeah. So I was sitting there in, the, in, in, in my little room and listening to shitty tapes on a shitty tape deck. And I had like, there was a magazine called Ablaze which was the first black metal magazine. And it always had like these, like you can send five Deutschmarks in an envelope uh, or like send it here and I will send you a tape. So I started like getting tapes. I actually bought the Behemoth demo tape from oh, wow. Poland. I don't know if it was Nergal. 
actually, but I had like the original Behemoth demo tape, and I had all these tapes. And and my mom was always like, "Who are these letters from that you get?" <laughs> it was just like all my pocket money went into ordering records from all over the all over the place. So yeah, I, I was hooked on black metal until I became super bored because everything was just a rerun of stuff that already happened and everything was about having an attitude before you write an actual song. And it's kind of the same way now in black metal, I think. Yeah. That you have to have the image before you have an actual song or actually be able to write a good song. So I was out of black metal for a while until I found Deadest Dreams by Weakling. And yeah, that's the that's the the starting point to my love for American black metal. And and it's so underrated because I think like a lot of American black metal is also in a way a copy of what what the Norwegians did. Exactly. And yeah. it's, it's like that all over the place. But then you always have these exceptional bands. I mean, look at the French bands. You have all these imposters, but then you have Blut aus Nord and you have Death Spell Omega and these bands where they're totally pushing boundaries and doing their own thing. And I think my appeal as, you know, I love these movie soundtracks and like this repetitive atmosphere. When I encountered Weakling and later on Two Hunters by Wolves in the Throne Room and then later on Ashbor and these bands, they just did it like in a very punk way mm-hmm. with way more atmosphere than attitude. And I kind of enjoy that. And that's why I like it. They're not about attitude not about having like these corpse paint stuff but they're just people that love this music and play it from the heart and write good songs the only person there that i really like you did a like a record like a podcast about him is like jeff whitehead oh, he yeah. he every everything that dude touched is pure gold especially like i mean you did the lurker of chalice one this is one of the best records ever made i think the, uh, the yeah the mysterious the mysterious jeff whitehead Yes, yeah, totally. Some, like, someday I'd love to get him on this show. Like we we've corresponded a little bit over the last couple of years, and um, I you know he he's a private kind of guy, and I don't yeah. you know, I don't want to like presume anything, you know, like be pushy or anything like that. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think he's a genius, man. I think like his musical contribution is is like like he they're gonna write people are gonna write about this guy like as in in history when it comes to this stuff. I think. Yeah, of definitely. He's he's one of the most important protagonists in this genre, especially like I think there's no one from America that's as important as he is. I, I when when we texted about doing this podcast, I did told you I just listened to the the Walk Among Us classic records episode yeah. and how how much I loved that. And you guys, you said something is that Danzig will be like one of the people that will be remembered like in an almost Elvis kind of way when yeah. it comes to rock music. Mm-hmm. And I, like I was just sitting there like, fuck yeah, 110% because everything Danzig did is also like on my list here. I, I was writing down stuff. I'm like, okay, so I have to include Danzig. I have to include Samhain. I have to include the misfits. And I was thinking about like, where did I start with that? And for me, it actually was the Thrall demon sweat life. EP. Yeah. Because it was like mother was played on Hatbanger's ball. And I was even more appealed by the way this, they looked, like how fucking cool they were. It was so yeah. dark. And like, they were like, why is the drummer sitting on, like, he's almost standing. <laughs> Everyone comments then, on how high Chuck Biscuit sits, man. So yeah. <laughs> and then it's just like, 
how how is this jacked up wrestler dude playing this shitty mockingbird guitar that looks like a ukulele on him so everything was odd and fascinating and cool at the same time why is dancing wearing these boxer gloves and why is the microphone upside down in his hand and i was just like what the fuck is happening here and then it's just like the sound was so odd and then i got like i saw the ep in the store and just this artwork with the with the almost kind of like Conan cartoonish yeah. girl with a, with a skull mask. I'm like, Oh man, this, this is exactly way up my alley. So I started getting into Danzig first four. I think always the first four epic. Like I love, I mean, the first two are the best, but I include the fourth one as well because I really love the fourth one after that still. Okay. It's Danzig. I still have them, but not as important, but through that, then I found the Misfits, love the Misfits, but then I found Sam Hain. And Sam Hain is, well, I mean, I don't have to tell you about how good Sam Hain is. Yeah, Sam Hain's my favorite Danzig thing by far. Uh, and the first yeah. two Danzig and, and the Misfits. I mean, I love it all. That's funny to even yeah. st- I, I can't even believe I said something like, oh, yeah, it's my favorite. Then I'm like, well, then I also love this. But, but Sam Hain just like, for me, just has like, uh, there's a certain uh, just like, it, it's so on point with the kind of things that I'm into, you know, like yeah. super yeah. just violent imagery. Like they talk about werewolves. It's like, it's got this like Gothic element, but it's like really hard, you know, sounding. And, and it's still beautiful at the same time. It, exactly. And it has a lot of yeah. melody and there's, and there's also like the, uh, and, I, and I'm a, like, you know, I mentioned earlier, I'm a huge fan of like bands, like, you know, the cramps and gun club. And, and yeah. there's even, there's like that element to it as well. There's like rockabilly yeah. element, which I love, you know? Yeah. And I appreciate people that really live for their arts. And you, we mentioned Danzig, you mm. mentioned Henry Rollins. Yes. One, one person I would put up next to these two is Michael Girard. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. So I, I love swans. I love the angels of light everything they did i just finished the the book do you know the oral history of swans yeah i have it actually i i bought it recently i haven't read it yet but yeah super super good it's really authentic also like from like you you can always clearly see that he's kind of a dick on stage Mm -hmm. but he's a perfectionist and it's it all just makes sense when you read it it's it's really well done i can only recommend that book because it really goes from record to record and how everything changed it also like did you ever hear circus more like his dark wave killing joke band before i, the I never even heard of that before yeah, the swans dude. he had a band yeah dude <laughs> yes it's oh, in man. that book and i didn't i didn't know that and the funny thing is of all things you can find the ep on spotify wow it's like it's four songs and they wanted to sound like Killing Joke, and it actually does. And like in the book, they said like, yeah, they were on speed a lot, so they just played way faster than they were supposed to play. <laughs> but it's actually it's 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 a record that sounds like the first Killing Joke. It's four songs. It's Michael Jira singing Circus More. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. It's really good. So yeah, look forward to that book. It's it's really well done, and I, I I love the fuck out of whatever he did. But The Great Annihilator, ninety five. Yeah. I love that. That's unbelievable record, dude. I love that. It's so. Uh, that's pretty much the last Planks record I did. I wrote it by while I constantly listen to that record. I'm like, I don't care. I do whatever the fuck I want. I break the slow song into a very fast song into a ballad. So last Planks record is me and my like as a three piece and the limited abilities I have, kind of trying to be as free as Michael Girard was back then. 
just to do, I, this is my band. I don't care what you think. I do what I want to do. Yeah. And, yeah. Like the Great Annihilator, that was the first tour I saw the Swans on. Oh. They played in, uh, I was living in Boston at the time, and they played at this place called Mama Kin, which is owned mm. by Aero, an Aerosmith-owned club. And, uh, oh, wow. I mean, it was, um, it was a cool room. It was like maybe, I think maybe 500 capacity maybe. And, um, wow. Or maybe even smaller than that, actually. Maybe I'm remembering it being bigger than it was. But, uh, you know, it was packed with people. And, um, yeah, Jarbo was still in the band. Um, oh, man. And oh. It, it was amazing. It was great. Oh, see, I never, I didn't even really talk about New Model Army. That's your favorite what? band. And I was surprised you didn't mention them at all. So give a mention yeah. to New Model Army. Be- yeah, dude. Uh, okay, like, let, let's include this. My favorite band of all time, New Model Army. A band, I don't know. Is New Model Army a band Americans know? Do you know them? Uh, all right, I'm going to be honest with you. I know them a little, but I was going to ask you once we go off air to give me like yeah. a rundown of what records to listen to because there are, no, there are a ton of people, <clears throat> excuse me, in the United States who are fans of them. Okay, so I mean they're they're celebrating their fortieth anniversary next year. And I saw them yesterday for their December show. Like they're they always do like one of the last shows of the year is always in Cologne. And it's been like, I don't know, the tenth time I saw them now. And they're my well, as you said, my favorite band of all times. They're one of the most authentic and most original true bands. And Justin Sullivan as a lyricist and also like just as a songwriter is incredible. And well, the record I think most people would agree on is Thunder and Consolation. It's like mid-80s. They were already pretty popular back then in Europe. And it has everything that made this band so popular. So you have like a really dark post-punk kind of wave. But you have like also like kind of folk mm-hmm. uh, elements okay. in there. But like it's, it's, it's political. Like they're a very political band, but also super emotional. The overall, overall, like overlapping f- feeling this band has is desire, to this aim to. There is more than everything you have. You can have more. You just need to go out there and and get it. Their love for nature, their general love for life, in a way, it's like even though they have super sad and melancholic songs, it's just like there's this sense of positivity and urge in their music which is just like so appealing which gave me strength in so many situations so thunder and consolation is like the song it starts with uh with i love the world which is like an odd song title but it's a really dark it's a, it's a really dark song and it ends with white coats which is like a political song it's super dark in the middle you have a song like stupid questions which is one of my favorite songs ever so this is the probably the most popular um but i would say start chronologically like especially if if a person is like you that you're like into dark wave and like the more post-punky kind of stuff the first record they did was called vengeance okay it's from it's from 1980 and it's uh it's basically it's a, a kick-ass drummer and a bass player and justin sullivan being a shitty guitar player so like the 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 rhythm section is otherworldly like they play post-punk but on like on a bad brains kind of level oh wow you know so like when you compare hardcore and you have bad brains and you see like all these other people cannot play but like the the bass player and the drummer on the first like new model army record they and it's um, it's impressive and this record is just hit after hit after hit and it's like this dark 80s stuff 
And then like they have their like they got a major label deal, and then they started uh, with like the first two records was No Rest for the Wicked and Ghost of Cain, and they were still really dark. And the Ghost of Cain has the song The Hunt that Sepultura covered on Chaos AD, okay. which is the point where most people know New Malarmi from because Sepultura covered them. And if you like go through their catalog. Everything up until 1998, Strange Brotherhood, which is still an awesome record. After that, they kind of lost it. They're still mm. good records, but now for the last four records, they they found their like pace back, and they released a record this year called From Here, where they went to a small island and said like, okay, fuck everything. We go back to our roots. We just write from the heart, and it's the most honest and heartfelt record they did in years, and it's just an awesome really good sounding punk like post-punk pop kind of record it's it's hard to describe they're their own brand if you if you like the cult you will love them oh cool yeah because i do like the cult so yeah yeah so like if you if you like see the transversion from the southern death cult to death cult to the cult it's also the way that new world army changed over the first few records so that's why i said like i think from if you want to check out one record Go to Thunder and Constellation. If you want to really get into them, and I know you're like a completist, start from the first record and go for the first five records. And okay. you will, yeah, and you will, I, I promise you will love them. And I think a lot of people that listen to it and are into this kind of music, they will appreciate it too. See, now that's the beauty. That is the one positive thing about this whole streaming thing is that you can, I can go, like right if we get off this, uh, you know, this, this interview, I can pop into um apple music and probably reference all this stuff and listen to it so yeah yes that's pretty awesome. pretty certainly yeah so yeah no this this is a good stop stop point i think <laughs> cool no thanks i appreciate it man this is great you know and then uh, yeah dude thanks thanks so much for having me doing this episode of metal matters a gimme radio weekly podcast tune in next week and see what we have in store for you the show is available on all streaming platforms apple Podcasts, itunes spotify etc also be sure to check out gimme radio streaming on the web ios or android for one of the best metal communities exclusive merch interviews with artists and so much more i'll catch you guys next week take care I'm willing, willing, so I